What's up, guys? It's Heather. I'm back with another episode of Strike Vote. And I just want to say before we start, it is January 9th today. We are coming into the mid part of January. The days are getting longer, the nights are getting shorter, and we are past the midpoint on our way back into summer. So keep an open mind, things will get better. And uh, welcome. And with that, I will get started on episode three of Strike Vote. Chapter one, Jenna. It was six in the morning when Jenna woke up. She slammed her palm down on the alarm clock to shut up its braying and swung her legs off the side of the bed, breathing hard. She tossed the last of the covers aside and put her hands in her long, dark hair breaking it back from her face as she leaned with her elbows on her knees. Listening for a moment, she thought she could hear a dim, distant rumble. There was an echoing vibration trembling up through the floorboards and into the soles of her feet. She cocked her head for a moment, straining to hear what it was, but the sound and the trembling went away. That was a hell of a dream, she said. She stayed like that for a few moments giving her heart rate a chance to subside while she thought about the dream. There had been a man with snakeskin boots in the dream. He was a bad man. She had known this. In the dream, she'd been watching from a hidden place as the man walked across the gravel parking lot with a bulging brown manila envelope in his hands. She knew what the envelope was. It was cash, the bad kind. The dirty kind, the kind that powerful people sometimes pushed across the desk at you when they wanted you to do something crooked. It was a bribe, and she had refused more than a few of those envelopes in the nine months she had been in office. A pickup truck drove up to the man in the boots. The man handed the driver the envelope through the open window, and they shook hands. Something about that filled her with terror, and then the ground split between them. A crevasse opened up in the pavement between the man in the snakeskin boots and the truck. The two sides of the landmass divided, and next in her dream, there was water. A big wave of water that rushed out of the crevasse, flowing inland over the ground where she stood until she was up to her waist in it. The sky turned dark. It became night. She looked up to register this, and when she looked back down, she saw that the water she was standing in was riddled with dead bodies. She saw with dismay that one of them was the man who had taken the envelope. He floated face down, still grasping the fat envelope in his bloated fingers. There were so many bodies. They were everywhere. She clutched at her face, wringing her hands, feeling a wave of despair that went down to her core and then a greenish pink light ripped the sky and she turned her head to see a giant mushroom cloud bloom on the horizon. That was when she woke up. On legs that still surged with a dwindling dose of adrenaline, Jenna rose. She went about her morning routine of coffee, shower, and breakfast by habit, shaken by the ghost of the dream that still haunted her. She'd been having a lot of bad dreams lately. At 28 years old, In October of 2018, the previous year, Jenna had become the first woman mayor of a small town called Mount Bridges. That was nine months ago, and in the time since, 
as she'd made her presence felt at the municipal building where she held office. It was safe to say the stress of the job sometimes followed her home. That happened often. In fact, she was almost never free from the weight of the burden of time and attention her new job required. She loved her new job, loved having a voice in decisions that impacted her home and community, loved rooting out the vestiges of the old empire of cronyism and back office bribes that her predecessor, Mayor Moody, had built. She loved shining a light on the network of corruption that was slowly and surely beginning to crumble, and the thought that a fairer and more unbiased version of democracy was starting to blossom in her tiny corner of the world softened the heartache that went along with being a young, beautiful woman in a powerful role with all of the sexist innuendo and predatory behavior that she had to endure. Having finished her second cup of coffee, she rinsed her few dishes and left them in the drain board to dry. She threw a few things in a bag, tossed in a sweatshirt for later, and then paused with her hand on the door handle, looking back at her little apartment. Small it was, and cozy, but she loved her collection of potted aloe vera plants and the colorful afghan crocheted by her grandmother that held pride of place on the sofa. Her gaze lingered on that afghan, as it always did, and for a moment she indulged in the feeling of comfort that came from being surrounded by objects that she had acquired and arranged in her space, feeling sudden nostalgia and affection for the cute little room almost as though it was the last time she would ever see it. It is. The thought jolted her, startling her into motion, and she brushed at her cheeks, surprised to find a few tears there. She pushed those thoughts aside, went out the door, and unlocked her 10-speed from the bike rack. Climbing on, she buckled her helmet, snapped her water bottle onto the cage mount, and tapped on the screen of her smartwatch, scrolling to the setting where she was tracking her time on her daily commute to the municipal building. 14.22 was her best time so far. She had a good feeling that today she was going to beat it. She got into position, then tapped the green icon on the smartwatch that started the timer. Smoothly, she pedaled out onto the street, steadily increasing her pace as she headed for the upcoming turn onto Piedmont. She'd been training for this, watching motocross racers, studying the way they leaned into their turns, getting ready to try it. She pulled herself upright, braced, and leaned into the turn without slowing, feeling the pulse of the tires as they banked off the curb, and then almost instantly after the hollow metal plank as she crossed the sewer grate. The grate was on Piedmont. She had done it. A jolt of pure joy coursed through her. That corner had been one of the last places in her daily commute where she still had to break, but she'd figured out a way to beat it. She was far enough ahead by then that she didn't notice the second clank of the sewer grate as a glirt of black water surged up from below with enough force to lift the grate briefly before setting it back down with a thud. She didn't see the dark spread of foul liquid that roiled and frothed down the gutter, bringing the bog stink of sulfur along with it. As she paddled, <clears throat> sorry, as she paddled, she thought about the dream, wondering what it could mean. The brown envelope she knew all too well. It had been the summer before that she'd 
first become aware that things weren't on the up and up in Mount Bridges. Jenna had always known that corruption existed, but that had been more an intuitive sense that injustice and inequality permeated the world based on her lifelong observations that some suffered in poverty while some basked in luxury and wealth rather than any hard kind of evidence. In university, she had learned more about this, sitting in a circle on the floor of a roommate's boyfriend's dorm room, a haze of hash smoke in the air, listening to book-smart youths in combat fatigues rip, riff about power and injustice and the domination of global elites that had profited from the 2008 financial crisis because the government paid billions in bailout money to the very corporations who had caused the market to crash in the first place. Criminals in business suits, living in mansions bought with stolen money. That was the image she had in her mind in her early 20s, but it hadn't been until after her graduation and her first official job as a wildlife biologist that she had come face to face with the proof of it. She was on a government research contract to study the painted turtle population in Logwoods Road Conservation Area because the turtles have been dying in record numbers. And not only that, they've been mutated. Other wildlife species were the same, and Jenna had been deep in the marsh in a canoe, listening to the local news talk radio on her headphones while gathering samples when she heard the news. There had been a problem at the neighboring Oneida Nation of the Thames Reservation, a spike in cases of a strange and deadly form of cancer, and a handful of teenagers investigating the cause had discovered a cache of industrial toxins dumped in the water course that fed the First Nations drinking water supply. In the canoe, Jenna had stiffened her hands, rising almost of their own accord to pull the earbuds resolutely from her ears. She had looked for a long time at the specimen she held in her hands, a turtle preserved in fluid in a sample jar, whose mutations were so severe that his species was almost unrecognizable, and she had thought, those bastards. She sat there for a long time in her canoe, staring at her little friend in the sample jar, thinking. It wasn't just that people existed who would do such a thing as disposing of industrial waste in a wetland, or that in doing so, they had caused a series of deaths on the First Nation. It was that those people considered the First Nation's residents themselves as disposable, let alone all the wildlife species in the watercourse that had also been harmed, like the one in the jar. Jenna felt the truth resonate inside her, and she thought, sorry, and the thought that came to her was that nobody was disposable. Nobody. All humans were equal and equally deserving of the means of life on this planet, and the planet itself was life. It blew her away that someone could care more about their own personal profit than about all of those downstream consequences they were putting in motion just to avoid the cost associated with dealing with their own waste byproducts correctly. Or hey, here's a thought. Why don't we just make better processes, ones that don't generate toxic byproducts that we don't know how to deal with or what the long-term consequences are, or how about we don't build something if it produces those byproducts? Can't make money that way though, right? She had said this out loud to herself as she packed up her gear resolutely, 
No point in searching any further for a cause to the painted turtle problem, she had thought. She felt bereft that her first research project had been solved and that the problem had been caused by such an obvious and selfish act. She paddled her canoe back to the field office and went home for the day to her little apartment, plopped her little friend in the sample jar down beside her, and sat in front of the TV to watch numbly as the story unfolded on the evening news. The toxins were being traced back to a consortium of business owners who made parts for the huge Fallon Auto plant outside of town, and in the sequence of photos that the newscast flashed over, aging white men in expensive suits with their arms draped companionably around one another smiled into the camera at various galas, charitable galas for the most part, and there was one face that Jenna noticed in all of them, the face of the mayor Mount Bridges, Thomas Moody. Something about the way he was smiling in those photos struck Jenna. She picked up her sample jar and looked at it, held it up in front of Moody's face on the TV screen, and the intuition struck her that he was involved. She knew it in her bones. She just did. But then the news anchor said something that caused a feeling of helplessness in her. Moody was running unopposed in the municipal election, which meant that unless someone came forward... By the following day at close of business, Moody would be acclaimed for another four-year term as mayor. Jenna had felt that sink in. Another four years for this guy, on the public's dime, making decisions that would impact her whole community and all of the natural habitat that surrounded it. And she made up her mind. If nobody else would run against Moody, she would. She got up, went to the kitchen, opened a bottle of wine, and poured half of it into a glass. While she drank it, she thought about what it would mean if she ran for mayor. She had no kids, no spouse, no obligations to anyone besides herself, and thanks to the discovery of the toxic waste, she had no research project. What was needed was a plan to clean the mess up, and a person at the helm of that initiative who could take it on in good faith. She knew without a shadow of a doubt that if Moody got re-elected, he would not be that person. He would not be impartial. He would not govern from a place of integrity. But she would. If she won, she would. That was. She finished the bottle, passed out on the couch, woke up with a big headache, and ate a big breakfast to appease it before showering, putting on a suit, and going down to the municipal office nice and early pay her fee, and fill out her application for candidacy in the upcoming election, only six weeks away. Fortunately for her, the news reporters were hard on Tom Moody over the next few weeks. While it was never outright alleged that he had taken the bribes, it was made pretty clear that he had at least looked the other way when some of the shadier deals were going down, and the petulant tone he began to speak with in his press interviews didn't help him. Coupled with that, a certain shifty expression in his eyes when the camera was rolling played very well for Jenna in the polls, and she won. Unbelievably, she had won, and now here she was, mayor, pedaling her 10-speed to the municipal building, where for the last few months, she herself had been the recipient of several bribe offers, which she always pushed resolutely back the desk embraced for the inevitable onslaught of misogynist backlash 
that rejecting the bribes caused her as some greedy soul in a suit told her that this was the way things were done. It was no wonder that the brown envelope had shown up in the dream, but the bodies in the water and the explosion, that was new. Hope it's not a sign that something worse is coming, she thought, and then felt goose flesh break out on her arms. The tires of her bike bit into the gravel parking lot of the municipal building. She pulled up to the sidewalk underneath a little bronze plaque that read, Mayor, hopped off, leaned her bike against the building, stopping the timer on her smartwatch. Fourteen minutes even, she had done it. She had beaten her best time, and to celebrate, she allowed herself a little victory dance on the sidewalk before popping the lid on her tumbler and draining half of the water in a single, satisfyingly long pull. Being mayor had not been an easy road to this point. Here there be tigers, she knew, and she would do well to remember that. It was why she kept in shape, always pushing herself and her stamina further, because she knew that she needed all of her wits about her if she was going to survive. She had kept true to her plan and gone about every single aspect of the job with integrity, and the results were starting to show. Slowly but surely, unbiased democracy was returning to Mount Bridges, and she knew that as long as she had the stamina to keep going, there was more good to come. All right, guys, that was chapter one of Strike Vote. Jenna, what did you think? Let me know in the comments, and uh, I might just be able to get another episode in today. We'll see. All right, I hope uh, wherever you are, you're having a good day and uh, keeping your spirits up. Um, I know it's hard times, and people are very divided, but I think the way forward is coming together in unity, and I think that is starting to happen. So... All right, guys, hang in there.